haven't had a friendlier welcome in a long time, so thank you so much. I, this is what it feels like to be a celebrity. <laughs> I don't wear it well, so I don't want it. So, But thank you for your love and your, uh, your encouragement. And uh, I thought I would do this uh, real quick just because I am uh, the, the uh, rather newly appointed director of mission for the Central Valley Baptist Association. I find that not all churches kind of understand what that means. And so uh, this is what it means. It means that your church, in cooperation with approximately 34, 35 other churches in the Central Valley, uh, pool together time, talents, and resources to support mutual ministry. And uh, one of the things that I like to say is the DOM of an association of a lot of smaller churches is that small church is only an idea in the mind. Uh, it doesn't matter if there's 10 people or 10,000 people in a room. We are part of one universal church of God and Jesus Christ around the world. And sometimes that manifests itself in a small group, a large group. But as we um, affiliate and associate together, we're able to do some works uh, that could not be done alone. So a word around our association is, because uh, we're good Baptists, we are independent, autonomous churches until the day Jesus Christ returns. That's right. And we also are engaged in interdependent ministry. We do things together that we could not do alone or by ourselves, and I would like to just bring one of those works to your attention right now because you are aware of it, and you've seen it on the news, and maybe it has burdened your heart, but for 30 years, the Central Valley Baptist Association has had a partnership with Ukrainians in the Kyrgyzstan region of, of Ukraine. So southern state, right above, uh, just north of Crimea, which has been in the news since 2014, and uh, we have dozens and dozens of partners this association has helped build over 20 church facilities in the, Kyrsa, the state of Kyrgyzstan since the fall of communism. Teams from across the association have gone to do ministry, VBS, medical clinics, to build buildings and uh, support a theological training school there, which we just sent about a 9,000-volume library of books over so they could reach the threshold for state accreditation. It would make them the first theologically accredited school in eastern Ukraine, and um, that, is, that is in large part because of the influence and the partnership that our association has had over the years with the brothers in, in Ukraine. So uh, actually, right before coming in this morning, I was uh, on the, the phone using an app uh, talking with one of the brothers there, and uh, you know, the news is not awesome. I wish I could report it was something different. The political cultural situation in Kyrgyzstan is, is pretty dire right now. But that's not what I want to focus on. What I want to focus on is on the hope that faith in Jesus Christ provides. One of the pastors, a guy named Zhenia, uh, just yesterday was handed six orphans. Ukraine has orphans all over the place. And the orphanage in his community is on the banks of the Dnieper River where Russian forces are now in control and they are placing artillery. And the fear is that a counteroffensive by the Ukrainians could hurt these kids. And so they called him and said, well, you take six kids. I mean, his house is the size of the stage, you know, <laughs> like it's Ukraine. And he said, what? No problem. Bring them in, pack them in. And uh, talking with him this morning, great joy, great joy. Uh, other brothers are scattered. Some have evacuated westward where it is a little bit safer for the time being. But for the most part, um, our partner pastors are staying in their churches, shepherding their flocks of God through this catastrophe that is enveloping them, and they are doing so by pointing people to the hope of heaven, the safety in Jesus, and then doing what they can, reaching out in their communities with what little they have to offer comfort and resources to people who have lost their homes and their livelihoods 
all of life has been upended for our brothers and sisters all across Ukraine, but in the church it has not been upended. Um, it's Monday morning, Monday evening there now, uh, so yesterday morning would have been church, and they still gathered in their buildings. Some of them were missing walls because of shelling, and they still, they still gathered to lift high the name of Jesus Christ, to open the word of God, and to, to lift high the name of Jesus in worship. And I share that with you because I want that to be inspirational for you. Um, I am a little familiar with this church. I have met with your deacon board. I have met with uh, your facilities guy. We, we helped repair the pump for the baptismal. And I got the, the down low and the story on the church. And uh, what, what I want to do this morning is inspire in you great faith, whether or not it's the difficulties that our Ukrainian brothers are facing or whether it's the difficulties that you are facing in your own church. I want to inspire in you the faith that leads to the hope that the work of God is not done. The work of God is not done. In Ukraine, the example of our brothers and sisters will, uh, by their good work, so shine uh, like a light before men that they will worship Jesus Christ on the day of visitation. And we pray that day of visitation is soon. It is just the same in our own community. We don't face the shelling or artillery barrages, but we do face the opposition of forces that want to silence, that want to sideline our testimony, that want to mock our faith, that want to bury our praise and worship. And we do live in a community, not just Modesto, but across our country today, in which there are forces arrayed against the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the one, sole, and only hope of mankind. And so, like our friends in Ukraine, we might feel sometimes that we're forced to shelter in place for safety. We just got to gather and kind of hold on to what it is we have because the culture around us has become so caustic to what we stand for and what we promote that it is easy to sometimes just look inwards and say, let's hold on to what we have. But I'll remind you of this. If we need a reminder this morning about the hope of faith in Jesus Christ, the work of God from heaven by the Spirit according to the Word because of what Jesus has done is not and will not be turned down one degree ever until Jesus returns. So, with that, we can affirm, yes, the work of God is going to go forward. That work of God is invasive. That work of God is st stood in opposition to the world in which we live in. That, that work of God puts us on one side of a, a line of contact with the world. And on the other side, we don't face bombs or missiles or artillery, but what we hear is, quiet. Don't bring this into your workplace. For some of you, don't bring this into your family. Don't bring this into the neighborhood. Don't bring this gospel hope thing into the little league team. Don't bring this word of hope. And we can be set scratching our head going, why? Why is the world the way that it is? Why, why do they reject the hope? Well, Jesus Christ is the light. And we're told in the gospels, that men love the darkness more. So here you come, you little flickering light of faith into your family, into your community, into your workplace. And you've affirmed this morning your hope in the work of God. And I'm telling you that the work of God is not slowing down, that it is going forward. 
And now I'm going to make it a little more personal. Are you ready? How's it going forward? Poke the person next to you and say, I think he's talking about you. And then you who are poked, poke back and say, I think he's talking about us. There is no plan B. There is no rescue plan. There is nothing else. There is only and solely the work of God as described in Scripture through his local church, empowered by faith and submission to the authority of the word and in all praise and honor to our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this church has been here long enough, and some of you have been in the church long enough. Some of you I've talked to knew me when I was like a little kid. Some of you were either here when this church had hundreds or maybe even at Baptist Temple where I now pastor, which used to have 250 people, and now we're just a hearty little band of 57. Some of you have been around for those, those times when the Lord moved, and the pews were filled, and the stage was filled, and there was ministry and activity, and well... Today, we just have to acknowledge, I know this is the DOM because I see 34 churches, almost all of them, and I'm going to tell you this, almost all of them are in a similar condition as this church. What is that condition? That condition is the church that is still meeting, like you guys this morning, I commend you for that. That church which is still worshiping, which I commend you for that. That church which is gathering to hear the word preached, I commend you for that. That church is faithful. You guys are faithful. You're still here. As was mentioned, there's a lot of other places you could go worship. Some have like fog machines and laser lights and garbage. Garbage. We want the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst, right? So in your faithfulness, here we are today. And what I want to do is take you through... A short passage in Exodus chapter 18. If you'll turn there, you might go, where's this guy going? I'll tell you exactly where I'm going. Moses is a relatively young guy. He's about 80 years old in this passage. If you do the biblical chronology, he's still relatively young. He had a lot of years ahead of him still. He's a, he's a main character here. And alongside Moses is another character, a guy named Jethro. Moses and Jethro. Anybody remember that from Sunday school? Let me read some of the passage here because it's like every holiday gathering. The in-laws are coming, right? And, and Moses' father-in-law has a word to say to his uh, son-in-law here. So Exodus chapter 18. Just listen to the story if you haven't turned there. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. What did, what did Jethro hear? He heard about the faithfulness of God as exemplified through Moses. Moses was coming out of a hostile culture, coming out of a hostile generation. And Moses was willing to follow God and do and go where God commanded him to go. And Jethro heard this and he said, this is, this is attention gathering. Drop down to verse 6. Jethro told Moses, I'm on, I'm on the way. I, your father-in-law Jethro, are coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Because while Moses was leading the children of Israel out of bondage, his wife and children were with his father-in-law. Verse 7, then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. You see the picture here? Oh, thank you for standing in honor of the reading of God's word. Please be seated. It's going to take a while. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you see the picture here? Moses has got a phone call from his father-in-law. Hey, I'm driving up from L.A. to spend a weekend with you. Now, all of you men that are married, if your wife's father-in-law called and said, I'm coming up, good news, bad news. It's like 50-50. You know, it depends on your, your family relationship. But Moses, that's what he's facing here. Moses went out in verse 7 to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him, because that's what you do. And he asked each uh, other of their welfare, and then went into the tent, the place where they were meeting. Verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey, and how the Lord delivered them. Verse 9, this, here's how we know Jethro is a good guy. Jethro, hearing the report of his son-in-law, rejoiced over all the goodness with which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So, verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Verse 12, Jethro made burnt offerings, and that's how the day ended. You see what's going on here. Moses is a relatively young guy tasked with an incredible mission of leading a nation out of bondage and captivity. You know what he didn't have when he started this was a playbook. He didn't have a manual on how to deliver a nation out of bondage from the most powerful people on earth. But you know what? He didn't need a playbook because he had God. And God instructed him. God gave him direction. God told him what to do. But as is often the case, God says, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to get you pointed in the right direction. But faith is going to be demonstrated by you as you figure out how to do it. I think we all sometimes want God to say, wake up at 8, make breakfast at 8.30, go to work at 9, come home at 5, spend time with the wife, go to bed. You know, like we want that sometimes. But if we were given that level of instruction, where would faith be? It wouldn't be necessary, only obedience. But God works in mysterious ways. And one of the ways that he works in is he says, here's what I want my people to do. Here's what I want you to do, Moses. And Moses, following God, stepping out in faith into the unknown, doing the thing that he couldn't articulate at the time he was doing it, didn't stop him from obeying God. So Moses has got his thing going on. He's got his people the Red Sea has happened. They're out of Egypt. They're in the desert now. He's got his act, you know, going on here. He's got organization in the camp. There's complaining happening. There's a way of dealing with it. And what's going on in this passage is Moses' father-in-law is saying, Son, I see what you're trying to do. I see what God has done. And my heart is knit to yours because we share something in common, and that is we believe in the goodness of God. That's a good thing when hearts are knit together over principles such as the goodness of God, the glory of God, because I want to show you what the Lord can do through that. Verse 13, the next day, Moses sat to judge the people. That was his job. And the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. That's a 12-hour shift. You can catch that. And what was Moses doing? He was listening to all the complaints of the people Bob stepped on my petunias. George parked his car in front of my... Came about that Moses spent 12 hours listening to all of this. 
And Moses' father-in-law moseyed on by in verse 14 and saw all that Moses was doing for the people. And he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge? And all the people stand around you from morning until evening. And Moses said, it's because the people come to inquire of God of me. When they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his law. Now watch this. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to Moses, you see it right there, right? This thing you are doing is not good. Really, what's the big deal about that? Just imagine if Moses' father-in-law came alongside Moses, who was trying to obey God, follow God, do God's commands, render God's judgments. I mean, he's really got the right heart here. Moses is trying really hard to do what he's supposed to do. Now, now imagine if, if Jethro came to Moses and just stood near him silently. Imagine if Jethro came and stood behind Moses just observed. It's a good show he's putting on here. Imagine if Jethro ran ahead of Moses and tried to take control of the situation. I'm older. I know better. Imagine if Jethro turned around and stood right in front of Moses and said, you don't know what you're doing. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. That's what he just did. He stood in front of Moses and said, you don't know what you're doing. Not at all. Not at all. Watch this. Because the condition was established earlier that Jethro's heart was united with Moses' heart and glorifying the goodness of God, Jethro was on Moses' side. He wasn't standing in his way. He wasn't standing behind. He wasn't standing in front. He was standing alongside. And when we read these words, Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. He wasn't opposing him. He was putting an arm around him. He was actually supporting him. He was actually encouraging him. Watch. Verse 18. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You you can't do it, Moses. Now listen to me. I'll give you counsel. And God be with you. You will be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. And then teach them the statutes and the law and make known to them the way in which they are supposed to walk. Now Moses has got a decision to make. Is he going to listen to his father-in-law? Moses is younger. He might say, well, I led the people through the Red Sea. God is with me. The tent of meeting is with me. I don't need you and your counsel, old man. Could have done that. Could have done that. But because the hearts were knit over fundamentals that were bigger than generationalism, United around the goodness of God and seeing him glorified, we get verse 24 in Exodus 18. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. He chose able men, set him over groups of people, and they judged the people at all times. Difficult disputes would come to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. It was a good meeting between father-in-law and son-in-law. So verse 27 Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he sent him on his way to his own land. That's a beautiful picture there, people. And I want to point out a couple very odd things. We expect that God is going to work the way we're used to seeing him work. We expect that God is going to work exactly the way that maybe we've been taught he would work. 
in Exodus 18, Jethro is a Midianite. He's not a Hebrew, not a Jew, not of the chosen race. It would seem that if Moses needed counsel, it would come from the people that were chosen by God to be led out of Israel to become the great nation of God who would have established Israel and build the temple and have King David and be the birthplace of the Messiah. It would seem like God would provide, right, a fellow Hebrew to give counsel to Moses. Instead, what God actually does is provide somebody, somebody who is outside the camp, who's not a part of the people of the Exodus, Midianite was a tribe on the east side of where Israel would settle. At times, they were trouble for Israel. And at times like this, they were a help. Why do I bring that up? Because when we expect God to work only in the ways that we have previously or priorly experienced, we might miss the ways in which he's at work today. Now, this isn't an argument to say, put unbelievers on your elder board or your deacon team or anything like that. What it is is a reminder for us to fall on our knees and say, God, how are you working today? How do you want our church to work today? How do you want us to find, develop, and walk in the opportunities that you're providing us? Because the work of God goes on, and it goes on. And sometimes that work does not happen the way that we expect, and that's okay. It's okay. How do we know it's okay? Because God used a pagan (laughs) father-in-law to give counsel to the chosen leader of the people of Israel. And that counsel was good. It kept Moses from burning out. And this man who did not worship God, for God had not been revealed to the Midianites, but to Moses and the Hebrews, heard and saw all that God did, and it overcame cultural, generational, religious differences. Moses's heart was sold out to seeing God lifted high. And when God is lifted high, just as we're told, when Christ be lifted high, he will draw all people to himself. God drew this Midianite pagan and Moses' father-in-law to Moses' side. And he didn't stand in front. He didn't oppose. He didn't stand behind. Well, kid, we'll see if you fail. He didn't stand alongside distantly, just silently observing. This man threw his arm around Moses, counseled him, and it changed the game. Why do I bring this all up here? Let's play a game. How old am I? How old do you think I am? I shaved this morning, so I look a lot younger. When I wear a beard, I can maybe get to 48 or whatever. Um, I'm 42. I'm I'm old enough to be the the grandchildren of many people in the room, as in my own church. Um, I'm I'm definitely old enough to be the the child of a lot of people in this church and in my own church. And over and over again, it just seems in the church of Christ, we have some generational conflict. Just do. And I sit there and I go, that is, it's of the devil. You want to know how I know that? Because old man Moses had an older man and his father-in-law. And the issue wasn't age. The issue was, what are we devoted to? When we are devoted and in harmony and like-mindedness over the goodness and the glory of God, age fades away. Economics fade away. Education fades away. Race fades away. Nationality fades away. 
That's what we're seeing in this passage here. God's work is bigger. And we might even say beyond even what we can think or ask or imagine. It's bigger than sometimes we settle for. Just so you don't think this is a one-off sort of dynamic in the Bible. Anybody heard of the Apostle Paul? When you read about him in your New Testament, he was a rather young, plucky guy. Persecuting Christians, slamming doors on fellowships. And then he takes that little trip to Damascus, has a little personal confrontation with Jesus, and that boy gets his soul saved. He got saved so hard, he got a new name out of the deal. Saul to Paul. And now he's like, I got to be a part of this fellowship, this Christian thing that I was persecuting. And do you know how he got in the church? I, I'm sorry if, if you've done the flannel graph things. Barnabas is always presented as a young guy. He wasn't. He was older than Paul. He was significantly older than Paul. And he opened the door for Paul into fellowship in the church. And because Barnabas opened the door and Paul was able to come in, the bulk of your New Testament has... Pauline authorship behind it. All I'm trying to say is this, is that through generation from generation, whether it's Jethro and Moses, whether it's Barnabas or Paul, God has a work. And the model of that work, I think, is most clearly demonstrated here in Exodus 18. The reason why I'm telling you this is because most likely as you guys do your pastor search committee, you're going to find a younger guy. You'll probably find a younger guy. And that younger guy is going to come out of an experience like Moses. He's going to come out of an experience in which uh, the Lord has taught and led and, and instructed. And he might have his thing kind of going on. He might have some ideas about how to do outreach. He might have some ideas about how to impact the community. And the church is going to have to make a decision. And the church decision that will have to be made is, will we be like a Jethro that stands in front of the man that God brings to our church? Will we be the Jethro that stands alongside of, distant? Will we be the Jethro that stands behind and just observes? Or will we be the Jethro who throws an arm around the man who God appoints to lead the church? Will we be a church like a Barnabas who opens doors? Will we be a church that's able to look at things that are done differently and not be afraid of it? If it can be established that the reason we fellowship is because we want to see God glorified. If that's the mission of a church, if that's the mission of your church, it's definitely the mission of my church as I preach and teach, as we exist to lift high the name of Jesus Christ in worship so that all people may see and know that he is glorious and good and worthy of praise. And it don't matter from what background you come from. It doesn't matter what you did. If you will turn to him, you will be saved. And if you be saved, you become a part of the body of Jesus Christ. You become part of those who are called out like the Hebrews from Egypt. And you are on a journey now. And every one of those people who come into our church are going to need a Jethro and a Barnabas. They're going to need you to come alongside and say, I will be with you. I will, I will hold you up when you are weak. When you are learning how to follow Jesus Christ and you fall into the pit of sin again, I will lift you up. I won't judge you. I will help you. And I'm saying that because you should not accept any man in this pulpit ever who will not demonstrate first and foremost how to live that way. You want to know why? Because if we do, if we accept somebody that is like a Jethro who stands in front of 
behind, who's not in tempo with the work of God, how's he going to teach you? How's he going to teach you? How's he going to help you see how you fit into the work of God? Is he going to help you understand you yourself have been called to be a laborer in the vineyard of Jesus Christ? And you want a person who can stand up here and say, precious children, the word of God is still true, is it not? And Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest. Pray ye therefore for more laborers. With all humility and gentleness, I'm going to go after some of you older people now. Because you can hear that and you can say, well, I'm too old to go knock on doors. Well, I'm too old to hand out flyers. I'm too old to, to do that. My heart is in it, but I don't see any way I can participate in it. Um, I'm, I'm going to do right now what I've done with my own church, and it has been such a blessed thing, is I want to tell you, if you're thinking, I'm too old, my age has disqualified me from the work of the ministry, that is of the devil. Here's why. Some are going to go knock on doors. You want them to go alone? Not at all. Well, I can't. I can't go. I got a lady at the church got to watch you. I can't go in a walker up the curbs. And like, well, no, you can go. You, how can I go? You can go. How? Prayer. Go in prayer. Go in provision. Provide the money for more flyers to be printed. Provide the opportunity to follow up with some prayer contact cards. Uh, provide your availability to pray for those that people meet when they knock on doors. Show up at a prayer meeting at church. Attend faithfully and regularly as you've done for years because when new people come in, if there's like three people sitting in the front pew, awful lonely. Be the Jethro. Have the spirit of Jethro. Have the spirit of Barnabas. Be willing to allow the leader to lead. Be willing to allow things to change. Be willing to allow God to work for his glory and our goodness in new ways. And be willing and ready to rejoice in whatever God accomplishes. And I say this because if our hearts be knit for the glory and goodness of God, it's personal testimony time. Y'all that are younger, the most precious asset you have in your church besides the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ and the presence of his spirit and the fellowship are the older saints who have walked and who have seen and who have lived and who have developed disciplines and who have confessed sin and have been faithful and have given, who have prayed, who have sacrificed, who have endured. So what I'm trying to say is, older generation, let's be like Jethro. Younger generation, let's be like Moses. What did Moses do? He didn't give up his mantle of leadership. He didn't do the bidding of Jethro. He heard, he listened, he discerned, and he understood that Jethro's heart was united to his, that Jethro wanted to see God be glorified, and Moses listened to the counsel of Jethro because Moses knew that Jethro was for him. And that made it easy to hear a hard word. Hey, Moses, the thing you're doing is not good. It was fighting words a lot of the time, but not in this circumstance. Why? There was a fellowship. There was a connection of person to person, spirit to spirit. 
And that's how you get to verse 24. So Moses listened to his father-in-law. He listened to him. And he did all that he had said. That's all we want people to do, right? He did all that he had said. Here's why Moses did all that his father-in-law said. He didn't do it out of fear. That's clear. He didn't do it out of fear. Moses wasn't coerced. He didn't have his arm twisted behind his back. There was no threat here from from his father-in-law. Moses listened to his father-in-law because Moses' heart was already devoted to him. Why was Moses devoted to Jethro? We already covered it. The glory of God. The goodness of God. That the work of God would go forward. That generation from generation would praise the name of Jesus, just like in the Psalms. And he listened, and it wasn't hard for him to do all that he had said, because all that Jethro told Moses to do had Moses' best interest in mind. And so Moses continued to do the new thing. What's the new thing? Leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. Massive national rebellion, wandering in the desert, leading this tribe of complainers. That was the new thing. It had never been done before. Moses kept doing the new thing. He kept doing the new thing. He kept following God. He kept doing what God told him to do. But he was aided and benefited in his ministry to these people by his old man, father-in-law, who said, Moses, listen, I love you. I love you. Love you, love you, love you. I love you because you love God. And your love of God has shown me the love of God, and so now I praise and worship him. And because I love you, I want to tell you, here's some counsel. Just take it from old guy. He's been around the block a couple times here. Listen to me. Let's change things up here. You're meaning to tell me a pagan Midianite priest of a family clan gave counsel to the chosen leader of God's people, the Hebrew slaves brought out of enslavement in Egypt? That doesn't seem like the way God works. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, God works in, what's the mysterious ways and because Moses was sold out to the glory of God and committed to the glory of God his obedience to his God won over this Midianite priest until that Midianite priest was worshiping God and counseling God's chosen leader that's crazy to me it's just crazy all of it worked though across generations ethnicity religion it all worked Because more than preserving a way of doing things, there was a preservation of the unity that comes when the Holy Spirit knits our hearts together for the work of God in Jesus Christ and for His glory. Now, I started out with a pretty negative view of the world. Uh, We're not being, you know, shelled or shot at today in America for our faith and all that. We are being told, shh, shh. If, uh, if we believe that's the way it is, then I would challenge you to say that you, you may have unwittingly become um, subject to the devil's deception. You want to know why I know this? Because I read the word. Every one of the people you live around, every one of your neighbors, everyone around this church, everyone in Modesto across this crazy liberal state of California is created in the image of God. And we're told further that God has hidden eternity in their hearts such that they can know it, but they can't search it out. So we're surrounded, even in 2020, with all the changes and all the crazy things that have happened, we're surrounded by a world that walks in darkness, filled with people made in the image of Jesus, with His law on their heart. And you know why they do what they do? Because they don't know how to do any different. 
how are they going to know there's a difference unless we, by faith, step out and say, I want to introduce you to a church. I want to introduce you to a Savior. I want to introduce you to a gospel that can change your life. If you do that, if you do that, and you do it faithfully, you do it prayerfully, you do it sacrificially, and, and you keep at it again and again and again and again, over and over and over again, these pews will fill up. But what are they going to fill up with? People that are either unsaved and acting like it, but who God is drawing, so they come because they want to hear, or new believers, dishonestly, uh, who probably didn't grow up in a Christian home, we're past that. Who, who didn't grow up with a mom and dad who took them to church when they were kids. We're past that. So you get these new believers that have no Christian background. If you do the outreach that this is intended to accomplish, you're going to do a new thing here, and it's going to be messy. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. Look at Jesus' ministry Squeaky clean? That boy was a friend of sinners eating with harlots and tax collectors. Okay, all right. I was just reminded uh, a long time ago, right at the corner here of Yosemite, which is what, State Route 132, and La Loma, Billy Graham held his uh, crusade here in Modesto, just, just really around the corner from this church, and hundreds and hundreds of people got saved. Those are great days. I mean, I wasn't even alive then, but I look back and I go, oh God, if only we could have days like that again. And the thing that I keep coming back to again and again and again and again and again and again is um, you can. You can. You can have days like that again. You can have days like that again. In fact, it's more necessary today than ever before. We can have days like that again. Um, you can have days in which there is a new work. You can have days in which it may seem unusual that God is working through this particular way, through this particular church, but you know what? If the people in the church are united together in the glory of God and the goodness of God and declaring that to a dying and unbelieving generation, then God be with you. And God lift you up and God encourage you and God help you. And if that happens and when that happens, the church is going to need a whole lot of Jethro's talking to a whole lot of Moseses. Hey, can I help you know something about the grace of God? Can I help you learn about the disciplines? Can I help you learn how to pray, read your Bible? And the people you spiritual Jethro's might be talking to might have a nose ring, which I cannot understand. I get like one hair and I sneeze for an hour. You might have a tattoo. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Why? Because we know that people who walk in darkness just do what people in darkness do because they don't know any different. How will they know different? They'll know different when the people of God, like the people of Israel, come out of the kingdom of this world and march through this world as people on a mission to a destination called heaven. Singing, dancing, praying, preaching, encouraging all the days until they go to be with him. So that everybody else in our beloved city of Modesto, with all of its craziness, might hear, know, and see there is hope for them too. And as that hope spreads, people are going to come in this church. And when people come in this church, they're going to look, smell, talk differently. There are going to be issues for sure. It's going to be messy. And that's 
okay. Because in the mess, we find that we have to depend on faith. And in the mess, we find that we might be made uncomfortable, but in our uncomfortableness, we might be driven to our knees to pray. And in praying to God Almighty who leads His church, we might find that He is calling me, He is calling you to a new way of doing the same thing that was instituted in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit fell down, which is to gather as the people of God, to be built up, to then go out and give away all the good gifts that we've received in Jesus Christ. So those who are in spiritual poverty and darkness today might see and know that the Lord our God is good and join with us in a heavenly chorus, learning to sing the praise of God Almighty as we did this morning until either He comes to be with us or we go to be with Him. If anything I said makes sense, say amen. amen. If you disagree by the same sign, no, don't do that because it would be awkward. Oh, it's fine. It's all good. What I would like to do is if I could just... Uh, uh, carry the maybe the pastoral mantle for just another minute. Can I just pray for you guys? Can I just pray for this church and pray for all of you? All right. I'm going to get on my knees. Do what you want. But Father, we come before you as the people of God, united by the one faith, one blood, one hope, faith that you have granted as a gift to all those who believe in you. And this hearty little fellowship here, Lord, is gathered together in, in days in which the numbers are greatly diminished from past days. And with that can very easily come a discouragement in the flesh. And so, Lord, I pray against that first. Uh, Lord, revive your work. Allow this church to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Uh, would you move, Father, through the fellowship of the hearts of this people as well as all your churches that we would be uh, reunited again around those first basic principles uh, which for so long have given the Baptist church and the Baptist faith so much vitality. We confess that you are and that you exist. We confess that you are the Lord of all heaven and earth, all creation, that everything that has the breath of life owes allegiance and obedience and devotion to you. We celebrate Jesus Christ, sent of a woman into this world to live a life we couldn't live, to, to die a death we could not die, to pay a debt we could not afford, so that all those who would by faith turn to you and confess their sins and believe on him would be saved. And I know that as these words come off my mouth, they're from your scripture, it, it enlivens the heart of all who hear. Lord, may that flame burn fervently and passionately so that the light of Jesus Christ might show out from this corner of Modesto, from this church campus, from amongst these people. And would you show and teach, would you correct and counsel, guide and equip every single person in this room, whether they are new in Christ or the most senior saint who's walked with you for longer than I've been alive. Father, we know that we walk by faith. and You cause us to walk places we could not even imagine you would want us to go. So, Father, we come before you, and I just ask you might give this church a, a very scriptural, beautiful, blessed humility and a unity and a devotion and a fervency to see this community transformed by that one singular same message that has only ever been the message that has saved anyone at any time throughout all human history. God is good.
And to those who turn to him, the goodness of God will flow like living water into parched souls and bring new life. We confess, Father, that we see with our spiritual eyes this world is dead and dying because it has rejected streams of living water. In humility, might you equip us with cups to bring some of that living water to those who are now trapped in that parched and dry world that they might taste and see that you are good. Difficult days, Father, but you're over it all. You're sovereign. And you love your church. You love this church. And you love your son. And you, you love us all enough to bring us into a relationship with him that we might go proclaim his excellencies over all the earth. From Modesto to Ukraine, to Russia, to China, to Australia, to New Zealand, to India, all around the world. So revive the days of your work in this church, Father. And as we wait on you, as we look to you, may you strengthen faith. May you revive hope. May you stir anew the passion for the first love, our love of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.